0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning, Faith Community Church. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Logan Hull. I am the student director here at Faith Community Church, and I have the honor of getting to walk through Scripture with you this morning. And I must say, it's full crowd, so that's awesome. I, I love being able to see people here because it reminds me that we gather together for Christ. We gather together for the opportunity to learn and grow in our faith and grow as brothers and sisters. So we're going to be in Philippians today. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Philippians 1 or your Bible app? I know that's kind of the generation we live in. Um, there's also Bibles we have on the back for you if you do not have a Bible that we would love to give to you. That is our gift to you this morning. And if you would, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The reason we do this is out of reverence and respect for the word of God that we believe God is speaking to us. So Philippians 1:27 through 30 says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, You may be seated. So, today we're going to be talking about what it means to live a worthy life, but I want to begin with a little story. So, this story is about a man named Jack. And Jack was walking along a steep cliff one day when all of a sudden he slips and he falls off. But as he's falling, he catches on to a branch that's hanging off the side of the cliff, only to look down in his horror and realize that there's thousands and thousands of feet until the ground is beneath him. And then he looks up, and there's no way he can climb back up this sheer rock face. So he starts crying out, Help! Help! Is anyone up there? Help! Hoping that someone will hear him as they walk by. And then he yelled for hours, but no one heard him. He was about to give up, and then he heard a voice. Jack! Jack! Can you hear me? Yes! Yes! I can can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but... Who are you and where are you? I am the Lord, Jack. I am everywhere. The Lord, you mean God? Yes, Jack, that's me. God, please help me. I promise that if you get me down from here, I'll I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person and I'll serve you the rest of my life. Lord, I promise that I'll do this if you save me. Easy on the promises, Jack, says the Lord. Let's just get you down from there and then we can talk. Now here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord, anything. Just just tell me what to do. Okay, Jack, let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch, Jack. Just trust me. Let go. There was a long pause. Finally, Jack yelled, help, help. Is anyone else up there? Help. And I read this because I feel like too often in our life we find ourselves in that same situation as Jack where we're hanging on to the last little bit of life that we feel like we control. And God's saying, no, just let it go. Just trust in me and and I will save you. I will will protect you. And if you fall, I will catch you in my hands and I will guide you. But we still want to hold on and we say, no, there's got to be another way. I don't don't know if I can trust you, so I'm going to hold on to this branch, and then I'm going to cry out until someone else comes, expecting someone to come help. But God is right there saying, look, if you just let go of the branch, and if you just fall, and you let me catch you, that I will save you, and I will protect you, and you will be comforted in my arms. And so this life we live as human beings that God calls to live, he says that he wants to save us but we have to be willing to let go of our own desires and grasp the life that God is teaching us to live. And that's exactly what we're gonna be looking at today is what does it mean to live a worthy life? What does it mean to let go of that branch and to let God catch us? What does it mean to trust God with every piece of our life? What does it mean to be like Jack but to actually let go and trust that God will save us. So, today we're looking through Philippians. And Philippians is interesting because it's a letter to the church at Philippi that Paul is writing. And this letter is a little different because Paul actually personally knows this church in Philippi. And this letter is one actually out of thankfulness. Why? Because Paul was imprisoned in Rome for sharing the gospel. And the church in Philippi sent a messenger, sent a man, Epaphroditus, to come and help Paul in his time of struggle and his time of need. And they helped get him out of prison and they helped support him. And, and this is something that the church of Philippi is doing. So then Paul writes this letter back, gives it to Epaphroditus to come back to the Philippians and give them this letter of thankfulness but also of encouragement to continue to grow in their faith. He's saying, your faith's already there, but I want you to continue to grow. I want it to be real, and I want to say thank you for helping me. So this letter is personal. Paul actually knows this church in Philippi, and he actually knows these people. So this letter he's writing is actually meaningful to those people in Philippi. And I want to start with, there's three things that I think Paul is teaching us that, that we need to understand in order to live a worthy life. And the first one is that we need to be unified by Christ? It says, "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am, a- am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And what's happening right now is, is this is a posi- uh, kind of a transition in the letter. The letter starts with. Paul giving his thanks and acknowledging the church of Philippi. And then he starts with his own sufferings and own life that he's been living through. And then he's transitioning now into this period of where he is now speaking to the, the Philippians. He's saying, now, look, I've already told you a little bit about my life. Now I'm going to speak directly to you, and this is how you can live a worthy life. And the first thing he says is, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is actually something we were kind of going over with our youth group, and it's this idea of, of this manner of a worthy life. And it's this idea of if you were to wear a shirt, for example, that had God on it, or a Christian shirt that was representing you know, Christianity or God or the Bible or something like that, you had a shirt on it that had a Bible verse, let's say. And you're walking around town, if if you know you're wearing a shirt that's representing God, I would hope that you would be a little more self-aware of the things you say and how you act so that you understand that you're representing God. And I feel like that often is is how we act. If if I have a shirt that says, you know, I, I created a shirt a few years ago and it says always only God on the back. And when I wear that shirt, I'm thinking, man, I'm saying I always only serve God. And if I wear that shirt, I hope I'm not going and acting in such a way that someone's like, man, if that's what it looks like to serve God, I don't want any part of it. I want to be serving God so they understand this is what it looks like to to serve God. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And and I want to know, what does that mean? I want to be a part of that. And that's what I hope we would act like if we're wearing a shirt that represents that. In the same aspect, when I went to Covenant College and I played tennis there, our coach sat us down in in the beginning of the year. And he goes, I want you to understand this, that right now when you step on that court and when you go to play a match, you're wearing a covenant tennis shirt, that you are representing more than yourself. So if you get frustrated and you go and you smash a racket and you break a racket, well, that's just fine and dandy, but you're representing more than yourself. So if you're okay with knowing that you're representing the school when you break that racket and when you act like that, then you go ahead, but it is not a good look for us and you may never play again. And so this is, there was a lot of pressure to reflect this idea of what it looks like to be a part of the Covenant tennis team because Covenant's motto is in all things Christ preeminent. So you see that we're not only supposed to be reflecting Covenant's tennis team when we step on the court, but we're reflecting the college. And the college is supposed to be reflecting Christ. So when we step on that court, we represent a lot more than just ourselves and that match we're playing. And that's what our coach was getting at. He was saying, look, you represent Christ when you're on the court. So I hope that you can play and act in a manner that is worthy and loving and glorifying Christ. And so this is exactly what we're seeing right here is that I say this because if we walk out in town and we're wearing a shirt or maybe we put the faith community sticker on the back of our car, we hope we act in a way that represents Christ so that others don't look down because we're representing God in that time. But Paul's actually saying to the church of Philippi, look, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you. He's saying that whether he's there or whether he's not, he hopes that they are living a life worthy of the gospel, whether Paul's actually present To hold him accountable to it or whether he's just hearing about it he hopes that they are living this life whether paul's there or not and it's the same thing for us i hope that when we come to church the way we act in church that we live this life when we're at home by ourselves, when we're out driving in the roads when, when we're in a store when we're anywhere we're at i hope that we're living this life worthy of the gospel because we can't just come to church and in our connection groups and our classes and, and then that's where we, we look like we're a Christian. But then elsewhere we're not actually living a life worthy of the gospel. Because Paul is saying whether I'm there or whether I'm not, my prayer is that you Philippians, that you are living a life worthy of the gospel. And the first thing he says is that he hopes to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit. That they are unified by Christ. That is the first aspect of what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel is to be connected to the spirit of Christ. And and I've talked about this before but we all come from different backgrounds, different political views, different ethnicities even, even different beliefs and things but yet we come together because we are unified through our one belief in Christ. Through our relationship with Christ we come together as brothers and sisters of Christ because we are unified by this one Spirit who lives within us. So there's people in this room that you may have never even run into anywhere in your life, never in any of your circles of life would you have run into them, but they're in this room together with you because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, because of Christ and our unity with Him. We can be in this room as family, as brothers and sisters for Christ. And, and this is what it looks like to stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and in standing firm it leads to the next step that the next thing that identifies us of a worthy life is to have courageous faith because as we stand firm in one spirit it says and to not be frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god You know, this is kind of interesting, and I wrestle with this, this and that from God, because grammatically it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. But in the Greek, the way it's translated, sometimes things don't translate perfectly. And what this is saying is that Paul is reminding the Philippians that they don't have to worry, they don't need to be frightened, that they can stand firm in one spirit, and that that is from God, that God is saying this, that this is God that's allowing this to happen, that it is God that they can stand in one spirit, and it is because of God that they don't need to be frightened by their opponents. So what does it look like to have courageous faith? And I wanna look at this idea of not frightened, to not be afraid, to not be scared, and the Bible says do not be afraid numerous times, over and over again, the Bible tells us to not be afraid. But he also, Paul is telling those in Philippians, that the Philippians will have opponents, that they will have people that are opposing them. But he wants them to understand that if they are standing firm and unified by Christ, then they can have courageous faith because they have nothing to fear. And we just learned about this in our Victorious uh, series, that we just learned that, that Christ is the victor, that Christ has already defeated sin and death, and that is why we don't have to be afraid as Christians when our opponents are coming at us. And this is what he's saying. He says that this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That those who are opposing us as Christians, it is a sign that they will soon know of the destruction that is coming their way. That when the day of the Lord comes, they know the destruction that they will face. And Paul can write about this because if you know anything about Paul, he was actually one of those people who were hunting down Christians and he was opposing them and then killing them. Paul was a man that knows what it's like to live a life opposing Christianity. And he can speak to the church of Philippi saying, look, I know what it's like living this life. And I can promise you, I know where it leads. I can see, I can see that it only leads to destruction. And now that I'm on the other side of it, that when I see someone opposing me, it's only a sign that they're soon gonna face destruction that comes their way if they don't repent. So he's saying, look, this is a sign of their destruction, that those who oppose Christians are actually have no relationship to Christ. They're not unified by Christ, and that's why they're opposing in the first place. But then it says, but of your salvation, it's a clear sign of your salvation. Brothers and sisters, that when we have opposition, it's a clear sign of our salvation because we know that we belong to Christ. And it's this idea that our citizenship is not of this world, but it's with God. It's in heaven, we belong to God, so therefore, we are a part of God's people. And Paul's saying, look, I face opposition. In the first chapter, I was writing all about it, and now we're getting to this transition period in the letter, but he's saying, look, you can see previously of my opposition I faced. And I know that you and Philippi are facing opposition as well. But understand that you need to have courageous faith. Do not be frightened by the opposition. Because it is a sign of your salvation, and it is a sign of their destruction that's to come. God has already defeated sin and death, so you don't need to be afraid. Because they can't do anything to harm you, to separate you from the love of God. And it it brings me up to this idea of, if you were to build a house... And you laid this really nice foundation and these four brick walls and you had hurricane-proof windows and you had this brand new roof and, and, and then you're feeling good. You're watching a movie at your house and you are sitting there and you feel completely fine. So when the storm starts to come, you see the weather app and you see that there's a heavy storm coming. The winds start to blow, the rain starts to come, thunder, lightning, all the whole 10, nine, the whole 10 yards, whatever, it's all coming. But what happens? You can sit there and watch your movie and know that you're going to be there in the same place doing the same thing after the storm passes because you're going to be perfectly fine. You know, there's certain type of people with storms. There's one when the storm comes, they get really scared and, you know, they're afraid that they're not going to make it out. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where someone's sleeping, the storm comes and they wake up, they're like, there was a tornado? Yeah, there's like two different spectrums. But I think that you can actually kind of create that spectrum of safety if you live in a place where you can trust in the structure and the foundation on which that house is built. But if you go and you're living on a little tiki hut out in the beach and, you know, your walls are made out of some sticks and twigs and your roof is some palm leaves and then you're sitting in there and the wind starts to blow and the thunder and lightning and everything, then first off, I'm running. I ain't sitting in that little tiki hut while this storm's coming. But if you're in that tiki hut, you're probably going to be afraid. You're going to fear what's going to come because you don't trust that structure to protect you. You don't trust that foundation to stand firm. And see, this is what happens to us as Christians if we aren't fully resting and trusting in the foundation that is in Christ, that we are unified through Christ. It is Christ who gives us strength, and it is through Christ that we are unified together. So when we face opposition, we can stand firm, and we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because if you can stand in a house and trust that when the storm passes by, you're safe, then you can stand firm in Christ, trusting that when opposition comes your way in this world, it has nothing on the power of God. God has already defeated sin and death, taken it down, defeated it, rose again three days later, and we can trust that we belong to him. And because of that, we don't have to fear when opposition comes our way. So first, we're unified by Christ. That is what it looks like to have the first step of living a life worthy of the gospel. And and the next thing is to have courageous faith, which leads us to the third point, a gift of salvation and suffering. This one's pretty interesting because of course we understand this gift of salvation, but why would I say that there's a gift of suffering? How can that be a gift? And before we even begin, I want us to understand that this idea of suffering isn't just suffering that exists in the world, but it's a specific suffering that is for Christ. Paul writes this, he says, "'For it has been granted to you "'that for the sake of Christ, "'you should not only believe in him, "'but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, "'and now hear that I still have. "'For it has been granted to you, "'it has been gifted to you, given to you, "'for the sake of Christ, that you should believe in him.'" I wanna stay on that real quick. The gift of salvation. The idea here is that we cannot earn our salvation. That that if we are to brag and boast about ourselves because we're saved, that is wrong because we didn't do anything to earn that salvation. So if we think we're better than someone else, say, oh look, but my life, I'm not committing those sins. if you put my life next to yours, I look like I'm up here and you're down here. But, but why would we ever do that? Because it is not our gift to boast about in the first place because we didn't do anything to earn our salvation. So please hear me, brothers and sisters, that, that salvation is a gift. It is a blessing from God that he has allowed us to be saved and sanctified from our sins. So we can't boast in ourselves. No, we can boast in God. Because he is the one that has given us this gift of salvation. And he goes on, he says, It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This idea of salvation and suffering, it's not either or, but it's a both and. That you cannot believe in Christ and be saved and not suffer for him. You cannot suffer for Christ if you don't believe in him. And this was kind of a wake-up call for me when I was studying through the scripture. And and the coolest thing is when I'm preparing a sermon is just seeing what God can teach me because I can't teach you anything unless God first teaches it to me. So I love diving into scripture. And this week, what God was like really hammering into me was you cannot say that you're a Christian and if you do not experience suffering for my name's sake. You cannot claim that yes, I am a Christian but yet I do not suffer for Christ. And that is something that was kind of blowing my mind because I'm like, that is a hard truth to wrestle with that, you know, I need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror. Are, Are we suffering for Christ? And if we're not, where is our faith? Because to have faith and to be saved is to suffer for Christ. Because you see that previously we learned that those who oppose Christ it is showing their separation from God. They're only opposing Christianity because they are not a part of it. But when we suffer, we can rejoice, and it. it is a gift because it is affirmation of our salvation. If you want to know whether or not you're saved, just reflect in your life and wrestle with Am I suffering for His name's sake? Because if you suffer for Christ, it is affirmation that you were also saved and you're in relationship with Christ. But if you are not suffering for his namesake, then I would ask you, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because let me put it this way. I'm from Atlanta, so of course, hard to say, but I'm a Falcons fan. And any, any sports team in Atlanta, they just, they can't ever win, it's fine. but. Here's what's happening. So I'm a Falcons fan. And say I come down to a Tampa Bay game, right? So I'm going down, and it's a home game for Tampa Bay. And you're playing the Falcons, and I sit there, and I buy a ticket. I go by myself. I'm probably going to end up in a section where I'm, like, surrounded by a sea of Tampa Bay fans, right? So if I'm sitting there, and I'm in my you know, Falcons jersey, I even get like a little hat with a falcon on it and you're just fully supporting with like the the hat with the water thing too, you know, just like all crazy like. Well, if the Falcons, you know, Tom Brady throws a throw, Falcons intercept it, run it back, score touchdown. I'm cheering. I'm like, yeah, let's go Falcons, let's go. And then everyone else is booing at me, yelling at me, maybe throwing their popcorn at me. And they're like, man, get out of here. The Falcons are terrible. We're going to come back and we're going to beat you. Well, then it, This is just a little, like, this is crazy. I know, you're probably like, where are you going with this? Well, listen, that just because I'm wearing a Falcons jersey and that I'm associated and supporting this Falcons team, I am getting booed and all this stuff and yelled at because they are opposing me because their opponent to the Tampa Bay is the Falcons that day. And they're only yelling at me because I am in relationship to this team because I'm supporting them. But if I'm sitting in the midst of them, wearing a Tampa Bay jersey and they throw interception and I'm like oh man why would they oppose me right they're not going to because I don't look any different than them they have no reason to they, they have no reason to oppose me if my life looks just like theirs and this is exactly what I'm getting at is that us as Christians that when you suffer for the gospel it shows you that you are set apart for Christ You're holy in God's eyes because to be holy is to be set apart. And to be set apart from this world is where you're going to face opposition. And and Paul really wants the church of Philippi to understand this. And he says, look, you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I I still have. Paul is saying, look, you're not alone in this. I suffer for the gospel as well. And, and you're suffering for the gospel if your salvation is there. But if we're all unified by Christ, the reason this applies to us is because we as Christians are unified to the same Christ that Paul and the church of Philippi were at during this time. Therefore, if we face opposition and suffering just like Paul did, just like the church of Philippi did, then we also are having affirmation of our faith. Because... No one's going to oppose us. We're not going to suffer for the gospel if we don't have any association with the gospel. And it's this idea that, that Christianity is not something that you can kind of be half in, half out on. because this is something I learned in my own personal life. For several, several, several years, I believed that I was a Christian, and I believe I was, but I didn't grow in my faith at all. I just was stagnant in my faith, going through the motion for years to understand and have someone call me out and say, you're you're on the starting line of your faith. You are still in the beginning of your faith because you have not grown because you are not giving up everything. You're like Jack holding on to that one part of your life that you want to have control over. And I was told, "No, you you got to let it go and you got to chase after God." And in doing so, that is when that is when your identity is found in Christ. And you see that when I was half in, half out, I'm never going to suffer for the gospel. I'm never going to suffer for his name's sake because I'm not going to do anything for Christ. I'm just saying I believe, but I'm not going to go act or live in a way that's actually going to make me suffer for his name's sake. So I think that there's actually three types of things going on here. First, you have the one who's suffering. Then you have the one who's opposing. But I think there's also that one who's like an outsider watching in. And the outsider is like someone who's seeing the person suffer and seeing the person oppose, but because they at least say they believe in Christ, then they're not going to oppose that one. But they also don't want to suffer for it because they don't really believe in it that much. They're kind of on the fence of, yeah, like I believe what the Bible teaches, but I'm not really going to devote my life to it like I know I'm supposed to, like the Bible's calling me to. So I'm just kind of sitting on the fence seeing this happen, but I... I would say that that's just as bad as opposing Christianity because you're not standing up for it either. You're just like Peter who's denying Christ three times. Peter lived with Christ and yet he denied him. So we're called to stand firm that we can be unified as brothers and sisters through the same spirit that unified Christ to the church of Philippi. This is the same constant God that was then, that's now, that is to come. So we can be courageous in our faith, not afraid of the opposition that comes our way, because we know that Christ has already defeated sin and death. And then we can receive this gift of salvation and suffering and rejoice, rejoice when we suffer for his name's sake, because we know that our faith is real, that we are living a life Fully devoted to Christ. And going back to that citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is who we belong to. That is where we live. Just like if I'm on the Falcons, cheering for the Falcons team. Then, then that's who I belong to and, that, and that's who I'm representing. Therefore, if, if they're getting booed or shamed, then I'm right there along with them. And if I belong to Christ, if I'm facing opposition, it's because Christ also faced opposition. It's, it's nothing new that Christ says that I have suffered in this life. And if you want to be like me, then you also have to suffer for my name's sake. Because the world does not like Christianity. I'm going to say that again. The world does not like Christianity. So if you wanna be a part and be a real Christian, understand that there is opposition that comes your way because the world does not like Christianity. But I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Yes, I am happy to say I am a Christian, and if the world hates me, that is totally fine because I can rejoice and know that I belong to Christ. It is a reminder that I know I will be saved. When the day of the Lord comes, I will be with Christ. I will not have destruction ahead of me I will not face the destruction and the raft of God that we learned about in the last several weeks but I will rest with God and his comfort and I want to close with this idea this is another thing that God was kind of showing me and I think it's really interesting if you think about it cuz some some people say okay I get it like you got to suffer for God but but why do we have to suffer in the first place why why, why do we even have to suffer? Well, the world's broken, the world's fallen, the world is separated from God. Therefore, if we belong to God, we have to suffer for God. But we suffer temporarily. Please hear me. Please listen to this. We suffer temporarily as Christians so that we don't have to suffer eternally. We suffer temporarily so we don't have to suffer eternally. Because we know that at the end of the day, Christ has already defeated sin and death. And if we belong to him, if we suffer for him, we can be reassured and rest in the fact that we are God's children. We will be saved. We will have endless joy. There will not be Suffering, there will not be wrath. And in Revelation, we learn that every tear will be wiped away. We will experience no more suffering. It will be this world that is perfect, just like God intended it to be. So we suffer temporarily, so that we don't have to eternally. Let's pray. Dear Lord... Lord, I pray that, that we can live a life worthy of the gospel. That we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, understanding that we represent more than ourselves, That when we say we believe, we are claiming to be in relation with you, Lord. And because of that, we will suffer for your name's sake. But Lord, I pray that we can be bold and have courageous faith, not being afraid of opposition that comes our way, but looking forward to the opposition so that it can be a testimony, that it can be a tool used to share the gospel and to share your love, Lord. Lord, Paul knew what it was like to oppose Christians, Lord. Lord, Paul knew the destruction that lied ahead for him. Paul knew what what he was gonna face if he continued down that road. But Lord, he believed in you. And he knew that to believe was to suffer because he was the one that opposed Christians, Lord. And I pray that we can have that same understanding and that same faith. or that when you call us to believe, you call us to suffer. But that we are willing to suffer for your name's sake. That we are willing to to sacrifice everything, that we are willing to let go of that branch and trust that you will save us and that you will protect our life. Lord, I pray that we as a church family can stand firm, united in one spirit. That when one of us is weeping and mourning, Lord, that we are all weeping and mourning with him and one of us is rejoicing, we are all rejoicing. Lord, I pray that we can be a church family that loves one another and that is growing and staying steadfast and living a life worthy of the gospel because that is what you call us to. That is what Paul is calling the church of Philippi to, and that is what you are calling to us to this morning. Lord, I pray that we can be people who live a life worthy of the gospel. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.